We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's going on, everyone? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Ducks Dish podcast. I'm your host, Max Torres, publisher and lead editor of Ducks Digest, covering the Oregon Ducks for Sports Illustrated on Fan Nation. And today we got a schedule breakdown podcast with the Ducks announcing their 2022 schedule. And I am joined on this episode of the podcast by Stephen Blanchett. How we living, man? Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me as always, Max. Doing great. Excited about the schedule. Absolutely. Well, uh, I just found out before we hit record that it was your birthday yesterday. So happy belated birthday to you. Did you get to do anything fun? Kind of laid low. Just watched the game. You know, I uh, did some research, but uh, hung out with the dog, talked with some family. Uh, birthdays aren't as crazy as they used to be, right? So uh, it was a nice day, though. I appreciate it, Max. Right on. Well, I'm, I'm glad you got to enjoy yourself a little bit. That's always important. I do think I saw your dog in the last episode. Uh, what's your dog's name and what kind of dog are, uh, is it? Yeah, she's she's right over uh, behind my shoulder here, chilling. She's uh, Her name's Zena. She's part pity, part Italian greyhound. Um, last video, I don't know if you noticed, but she was in her little ducks jersey so she's a fellow duck fan as well um so yeah i did see that i did see that that's awesome well i'm a huge dog person so um i love to hear that um so yeah we're doing this episode again on uh the youtube live stream on my channel oregon football max taurus if you guys are tuned in on the live stream thanks for tuning in um Definitely go ahead and uh, get in the comment section and, and let me know what you th- what your thoughts are on this uh, Oregon schedule for next year. And then if you are watching on the replay, thanks for tuning in and uh, do the same thing. Let me know what game do you think is the, is the toughest for Oregon? Obviously, Georgia is the one that everyone's going to talk about. So maybe we can look at the toughest game outside of Georgia. Um, and then, you know, the balance between home games, away games, all that good stuff. Um, but yeah, there's definitely plenty of stuff to uh, to get into here with this. Uh, I think um, just some other news off the off the top here before we get into the schedule. Uh, Oregon did officially announce two hires for uh, Dan Lanning's new staff, offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach Kenny Dillingham, as well as co-defensive coordinator Matt Polidge coming over from Baylor. Uh, so that's uh, some cool little news to dive into. I actually got to meet uh, Kenny Dillingham this, this uh, afternoon. He was over at the HDC. Uh, while we were talking to some of the defensive players today. So I got to shake his hand and introduce myself. It's always cool to to see that because you see the coaches, you know, going around the facilities all the time, but no one really talks to them. I guess it's just a professional deal that you don't, you know, go out of your way to, to talk to them, which makes sense. 
But uh, cool to see that, that Lanning's making some moves and the staff starting to come together a bit. Yeah, it's clearly a youth movement coming out of uh, Eugene here with Lanning coming on, bringing in Dillingham, um, you know, 31 years old, I believe. So this guy, from everything I've read, has basically just been in the coaching kind of fast lane since age 17, basically. So clearly a youth movement coming out of Eugene. I'm really excited about that. I think that that is going to bode well, both for recruiting and for, again, the importance of keeping the roster intact that we've already got. Um, what were your initial impressions? Yeah, I, I was definitely, uh, it was a name that I didn't really, I wasn't really aware of when he first kind of surfaced in reports. And uh, it's good, like you said, to have that young name, especially with recruiting. It's an effort game. And, you know, those young guys are going to be putting in a lot of effort. And, you know, I think the relatability factor is definitely something that's going to bode well for Oregon. Um, just getting like, you know, those in-home visits or when they get to Eugene, just being able to to welcome these uh, players in and, and uh, like I said earlier, relate to them. So I think that's great. I heard it was either a podcast or a video or some report I was reading about how he kind of got into um, all the coaching stuff. And as far as Norvell, I think it was Norvell said that he can show up to a practice and he sh- when he was at Arizona State, I believe it was. It was either Arizona State or Memphis, but I believe it was Arizona State. And he was showing up like at literally every practice throughout the whole season. So I think I need to do a little bit more fact-checking on that one, but – um, that was kind of just a cool little anecdote that uh, came to mind uh, that I heard about Dillingham that I think is really cool. And and uh, it's it's awesome when you think about kind of his his background and, and track to coaching, because like you said, Stephen, he started really young. I believe it was after uh, an injury kind of cut his playing days short. And he said, hey, well, I'm going to hop into this coaching thing and, and kind of just learn, learn from here and, and see how I can, uh, you know, help out. Yep. I mean. I think it's similar to it reminded me of that story about Lanning too, when Lanning got his first role and did that 12 hour drive to get that graduate assistant position. So clearly both of these men love football. It's in their bones and they're willing to, you know, do whatever it takes to be successful within the, within the game of football. And so I, I love that, you know, it's sort of like a full circle kind of feeling with those two guys. Right. Um, I think that Dillingham, I was watching a little bit of uh, some Bo Nix tape, when he was over at Auburn and I thought Nix was great under him, under his tutelage. And I thought he sort of regressed a little bit uh, after he left for Florida state. So I'm really excited to see what he can do with the quarterbacks on the roster. I think that again, the youth movement thing is going to be big in terms of connection, but I, uh, I'm really excited to see what he does with, with Thompson, with Ashford, Um, you know, and I, and I'm glad also that this is, you know, I I really think that uh, Lanning is going to be, you know, with the hire of our co-defensive coordinator as well. I think he's going to be letting, letting go a little bit and going that CEO route a little bit more, which I'm excited about. Uh, I definitely think that it usually works out better in terms of on-field success when you've got three different people all in their, you know, separate roles. Um, But yeah, like I said, watching that tape, I got excited about what he could do with young quarterbacks. Yeah, it'll be cool to see what the quarterback room looks like. That's obviously the biggest question mark for this team. Going ahead into next season in 2022, that in addition to the uh, the rest of the staff, we got to see how that shakes out and uh, how um, how Oregon finishes the 2022 recruiting class. Lenning uh, met with the media last night um, just talking about you know the, the guys that they were able to sign um, and kind of how uh, he plans to use the portal. Uh, you know, I think it was a, a, where it fits. It wasn't, you know, I think a lot of people have said when when he got hired that they thought that he was going to use the portal a lot because of uh, the low numbers in the early signing period. But 
Um, I think that any coach, you know, should at least be open to uh, utilizing the portal because you can get, you know, legitimate power five starters um, and they don't have to, they don't have to wait, uh, which is good. As long as it's their first stop, obviously, given that, that transfer rule. Right. Yeah. I mean, a lot of programs now are really building their roster with that transfer portal in mind, almost, I wouldn't say more so than recruiting because recruiting is always going to be the most important thing. But I mean, UCLA, for example, right? Their, their, their roster next year is going to be Gabriel. impacted by, yeah, by the transfer portal, right? It's in less so by recruiting. So we'll see how that shakes out. I definitely think that it's obviously uh, a, a tap or you need to tap that market regardless of what your class looks like on the incoming side. You need to be able to get, you know, some guys, some dudes to come in there and uh, perform on that transfer aspect. Absolutely. Dylan Gabriel going to UCLA. That's one of the biggest uh, transfers yep. into the Pac-12 yep. um, this year or this off season. It's not technically the off season just yet, but it kind of feels like it. Um, and then uh, another big move that we saw, it's not Pac-12 related, but Eli Ricks going from LSU to Bama. Uh, you know, he's a former All-American, modern-day cornerback. Uh, did really well at LSU, too. You know, they kind of had the the dynamic duo with him and uh, Stingley. So I thought that was a, a really good, um, you know, tandem back there. But it looks like we're, some people are getting into the uh, comments here. So people are showing up, and maybe we dive into the schedule. What do you think, man? Let's dive in. All right. Well, I'm going to – so I'm going to share my screen and uh, see what's going on with the schedule. I'm not going to have it up the entire time, but I can at least have it up to start so people can kind of get oriented here for those that haven't seen it. So here's the the schedule right now for uh, next year. Uh, you got Brandon Dorless and, and Noah Sewell as the uh, cover athletes. Starting things off, September 3rd in uh, Atlanta, Georgia, Mercedes-Benz Stadium to take on the Georgia Bulldogs. I mean, that's got to be a, a pretty intimidating matchup. Obviously, you're looking at a team that is uh, going to be in the playoffs this year. They could be coming off a national championship, for all we know, or at least even a playoff uh, playoff win. Um, I think that they definitely have some some questions on their roster as far as, you know, what's the quarterback situation going to look like for them next year. Um, I don't know if, if Stetson Bennett has any more eligibility off the top of my head, but that was kind of an interesting you know situation to track throughout the year because – a lot of people thought that JT Daniels was, you know, the guy, um, seeing as he was, he was really talented, you know, coming out of a uh, modern day, went to USC and got hurt. And then it looks like things were going off, off to a bit of a rocky start at Georgia, but he's had moments where he's looked really good. Um, but that skill talent at Georgia is, is insane. And it obviously complements the defense pretty well. Yep. So Bennett's a senior and I I'm with you. I don't know if he has an extra year of eligibility or not. So I'm not sure what the quarterback situation is going to look like. The biggest story obviously is landing going against his old team, right? That old defense. So, you know, I wish it was a real neutral site game as opposed to just being in Athens backyard over in Atlanta. So I think it's probably going to be a pretty hostile crowd, hostile environment, but Lanning comes off to me as the kind of guy who's going to infuse this program with the, with the attitude that, you know, we want to bring on the, the toughest challenge and, and let's blow through that challenge. And I think that that is going to be a real opportunity for him right out the gate to be like, you know, we're playing, not only are we playing possibly, you know, they're definitely going to be a top five, top 10 ranked team next year. So not only are we doing that, but we're also playing against my old squad. And so I think there's that ob obvious built-in motivation factor, uh, both for him and the team. 
Um, so there's going to be a lot of noise around that game and just specifically about that situation. I feel like for the buildup during game game week uh, come September, that's literally all anybody's going to be talking about is is the, the landing Georgia connection. So I think that's going to serve the players well because they could just focus on what they need to do on the field between the lines. And it's going to be I, – I really think it's an opportunity for, for Oregon to, you know, capitalize off of the hype that was built off of the Ohio State win this year. So I'm very much looking forward to it. It's giving me the kind of vibe when we played Auburn a couple years ago with Herbie. Yeah, that would be a huge, I mean, that was a big game and it came so close for the ducks to, to yeah. start the year. Um, so I'm thinking that some of the guys that maybe played in that game and, and are going to be on the roster next year will be, will be thinking back to that. So a little bit of a extra motivation, the landing storylines, obviously there, I think that'll be cool just to, to kind of, I feel like even if Oregon doesn't win this game necessarily, for them to be competitive would be a, a huge win for uh, not only the Pac-12 again, but for Landing as well because that's his first game uh, as head coach, which is pretty pretty crazy way to get kind of thrown into the fire here. Um, yeah. But look at last year. I mean, this year, I feel weird saying last year because there's still one more game left. But that's kind of what like I feel like a lot of the conversations have been like is you know yeah, last I'm year right in 2021. Um, but look at 2021, no one, I want to say no one, but very few people expected them to win, uh, over Ohio state to beat Ohio state. And look what they did. They went out and won without flow, without KT, uh, without Drew Mathis, you know, they had injuries left and right. So, um, and I think most of the guys that, that were making some pretty big plays in that game should be back. If I'm, I'm, I'm thinking so DJ James hit the portal earlier this week. Um, you know, that, that, that's definitely a big hit to the secondary depth. Um, and then CJ Verdell had a great game. So who knows if he's going to be back or not, we're still waiting on his decision. And then that was one of Anthony Brown's best games of the year and Joe Moorhead's probably one of Joe Moorhead's top games from a play calling standpoint. So maybe they're, maybe they are going to have a little bit of a, you know, they're going to miss some of their big guys from that Ohio state game, but that's a game where I feel like that experience against Ohio state last year, and then going against Utah twice this year, that'll, that'll really come in handy when you're going up against a huge team. I don't know why it's in yellow here as if it's a home game on the schedule, but yeah. uh, you know, that's going to be basically a, a home game for Georgia when they just have mm. to go up the road to Atlanta. Yep. I'm really excited too, because you know, with, with being in the PAC 12, it's, it's not as easy a road to the college football playoff in terms of your record. You pretty much have to go undefeated or you're maybe granted one close loss and it's got to be situational. So if it's at home, it probably doesn't bode well for you. It probably needs to be on the road or against a really great team. This is an opportunity where if Oregon keeps it close and doesn't happen to win, it's still on the resume is going to look really good. It's going to, it's an opportunity. You don't get these games every year where a loss still could potentially make you look okay. So that's another aspect to kind of think about and certainly something that they need to capitalize on. Obviously we're hoping for a victory here, but if we, if we can keep it close and it ends up going George's way, I think that could bode well if things get sort of hairy when we're talking about the playoffs, uh, assuming Oregon is in that position at the end of the season, a lot of assumptions there. Yeah. And this game is, is one of those, like you said, Stephen, it's not a worst case scenario. If you do lose the game, I mean, you look at Ohio State and how the rest of their season went after they lost to Oregon. Um, they still were in playoff contention, um, even though they had that one loss. So definitely going to be a, a pretty good barometer, I feel like, just for what next year's team might look like. Um, 
Although, I mean, Oregon beat Ohio State, and then you kind of saw how the rest of the season went. They won a lot of really close games when I feel like it. after they beat Ohio State, I was kind of thinking maybe I'm not the only one, but they should kind of run the table in the Pac-12 or at least win in more convincing fashion, which uh, clearly wasn't the case this year. But, um, you know, Georgia's going to be coming off of, uh, you know, a strong finish. I mean, just getting to the playoffs is a strong, you know, statement, like we said, and then signing another elite recruiting class. So, you know, they're going to be coming uh, ready to go. Yep. I'm excited about Eastern Washington, too. Yeah. Should we move on to that one? Yeah. All right. Let's yeah, Let's talk uh, Eastern Washington. Um, the Eagles, I believe, are their, is their mascot. Um, I feel like I have a little bit of familiarity with the program just because uh, when I was at Gonzaga, that was the nearest, uh, you know, big time football. Um, but this is a name that should be uh, pretty, pretty, you know, familiar to, to Oregon fans, you know, seeing that they, they played not too long ago in the non-conference slate. And they also, um, they also obviously got Vernon Adams from there, the, the grad transfer quarterback who just lit up. Uh, college football when he was playing for the Ducks. I mean, who knows if they go to the playoffs when when he's there? Um, yeah, Tony talking about uh, Vernon Adams in the in the comments. He was just uh, you know pretty much a best case scenario as far as how well a grad transfer can bode for um, for the Ducks in that situation. But good to get a, another game at home. Uh, you got this game, and then BYU is also at home and Eastern Washington. Um, you know, even though they are, uh, you know, a big sky team that maybe doesn't get that too much respect. Um, I feel like they're usually one of the better teams from the the big sky on a, on a pretty consistent basis. Yeah, I mean, they've won. Vernon Adams obviously came from there, right? And he, an incredible player. Cooper Cup went there, I believe, as well. So it's not it's not just you know scrubs up there in Eastern Washington playing. They've they've got a good program. They've got. I believe lately they've been a very high scoring team overall. Uh, the last at least the last few seasons, I'm pretty sure. Um, so they're not going to come in and just lay down in Austin. They're one of those teams that, you know, they really, they enjoy the spotlight, right? These teams that are, you know, get the opportunity to come into these bigger stadiums like Austin in the early parts of the season. Um, it's usually pretty exciting for those kids, right? To get that opportunity and everybody comes out fired up and ready to play. So uh, with them being, you know, an offensive minded team, like stay or the ball out, I'm excited for what that's going to look like, especially right with with Lanning being a defensive minded coach and seeing how that's going to transfer over. So um, it's I'm excited for that game. I've actually had that like when the schedule came out, my my you know ears kind of perked up when I heard that they were playing uh, Eastern Washington down here, Eastern Washington down here. So I'm looking forward to that one. I'm looking forward to that one too. Another guy that uh, another name that people might be familiar with with uh, Eastern Washington, Kendrick Bourne, NFL wide receiver. Yep. Um, playing for the Patriots, former Niner, I former might Niner. add. So yep. I know yep. that we both bond over the Niners yep. um, and uh, Oregonian. He's from Portland. Um, so that's kind of a cool, cool little fact if people didn't know that. Um, but yeah, I think that w- with regard to the, the, you know, the air raid, like you mentioned, it'll be, it'll be fun to see how Oregon prepares and matches up in that regard, you know, from a defensive back and secondary standpoint, as well as a pass rush, because they're not going to have KT, um, which is obviously someone who's who impacts the game on a on a huge level, huge scale. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, honestly, I, I don't know a whole lot else about Eastern Washington. So that's a, a team that I think I'm really excited to to do some more research in uh, into um, this year for some context. Uh, like I said, they they were usually one of the better teams in the Big Sky. They went ten and three 
in 2021, 6-2 in the Big Sky. Uh, trying to look at some of the games that stand out here. They uh, they beat UNLV in double overtime. Um, let's see what other games they had. Um, they beat Montana, who beat Washington. Yes, yes, they did. Yeah, the oh my god, everyone! It's so funny how much uh, Oregon fans latched on to that uh, that Washington loss uh, for for much of the year. But yeah, that wasn't a good look. And then um, they played Montana State pretty close. Uh, 23, 20 loss there. And the last game of the season was that was, uh, another game against, uh, Montana. It was a shootout. And, yeah. 41 to 57 to 41, um, in the FCS playoffs. So, you know, definitely not a team that, uh, should be taken for granted. I kind of think is the, the, the takeaway here that we're both getting Steven. I agree 100%. It's uh, it's going to be a fun time. Again, the thing that I look more f- forward to the most with these smaller schools is those kids get the opportunity to play in these under these big lights, and it's usually pretty good football. I mean, this past season, when Stony, although the Stony Brook game ended up being a blowout, for the first quarter, quarter and a half of that game, Stony Brook came out and put them on them. I believe they might have even scored first. So it's really it's always entertaining for me to watch these schools come in here and uh, get that opportunity. Definitely good, a good opportunity for them. And then obviously with the smaller programs, it's a, it's a good uh, opportunity for them, you know, financially to uh, get some money to to help build up the rest of their athletic programs. Uh, So I want to get to some of these comments and questions before we get to the BYU game, because I think some of the questions were about that. Um, Andrew's comment. Thanks for the comment, Andrew. Can't help wondering how there's no USC game yet again. Seems like the schedule makers are keeping them separated for a reason. And then a little curious emoji. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a definitely a legitimate question. I'm still trying to figure out how the rotation works with, the you know, interdivision, um, matchups because I thought it was two years and they were rotating every two years, but Oregon played UCLA last year. And then this year again in 2021. So, um, not exactly the, the every two year, you know, cycle. And then this year they're playing UCLA at home again, um, in Eugene on October 22nd. So I mean, US and I think that's a, a matchup that everybody wants to see, right? With Lincoln Riley taking over in Los Angeles, I feel like people would much rather see a, a Lincoln Riley, Dan Lanning matchup, uh, you know, in their first years as head coaches. But I think just based on the schedule that we're seeing now, it looks like it's going to have to wait until the Pac-12 championship, provided that both teams can get there. Yeah, I agree, Andrew. Thanks for the comment. Uh, I was a little disappointed as well. I did think that it was a every two year thing, so I anticipated USC being slotted into that UCLA spot in the schedule. So I was a little bit surprised. I think it does set up obviously pretty well for them to be both meeting each other in the PAC 12 title. So perhaps that has something to do with it where there isn't a, you know, it's not a revenge game factor for either team. So could be that could just be random, but I did want to, I was excited to to see USC on the schedule. I mean, besides the PAC 12 championship game two seasons ago, I mean, it's been a while, right? So I uh, was looking forward to that, but I guess we're just going to have to meet him, meet him down in uh, Vegas. Okay, it looks like my uh, internet's battling me again. So hopefully I'm not cutting you off there, Steven. Um, let me see if I can make sure my computer's plugged in and hanging in there. Hang with us, folks, on the live stream. Can you hear me okay, Steven? Yep. 
All right, there's a quite a bit of delay, it sounds like, but the show must go on, so hopefully the, the internet improves a little bit on us here, folks. Um, but, yeah, so the whole thing with USC, I, I feel like uh, they're going to be looking pretty improved. Uh, you're looking at guys that they recently got in the 2022 recruiting class, Damani Jackson, another modern-day product, uh, elite, elite cornerback, formerly committed to the Trojans. Uh, but they were able to, um, you know, get him back on board once um, once they got Lincoln Riley in the fold there. Um, but uh, hopefully Steven gets uh, back in. Oh, it looks like you're back. Are you there? Yep, I can hear you loud and clear. Okay, wow. Yeah, uh, this just got crazy. Sorry about that. But um, I, I was just talking about some of the additions that USC's made on the recruiting trail. Damani Jackson just committed, uh, recommitted, I guess I should say, uh, here on Friday, December 17th. And then you're looking at a running back, Relique Brown, another modern day guy that they were able to get. Um, and, you know, Lincoln Riley is just setting up shop in Los Angeles, as you should if you're the USC Trojans head coach. And then um, another guy to keep an eye on is uh, modern day wide receiver CJ Williams, who announced the final two of USC and UCLA after backing off his commitment from Notre Dame. Um, Got to figure that USC is the favorite there, but I was a little bit uh, curious to see um, UCLA listed as a as a finalist, just because um, you know you're seeing all the other USC guys going to modern day. Yep, Riley's making a splash early on. Can't say that anyone's surprised about it, but I mean, it, it felt like uh, I felt bad for Norman for the folks out in Norman uh, the first week after everything happened with Riley because it seemed like it was just. He was plucking everybody, all the commits. So uh, I'm not surprised either. I knew he was going to come in there and try to make a splash, and I agree. Um, if anybody's considering UCLA and USC as their final two, I'm sure USC is probably the betting favorite. Um, so we'll see. We'll see what happens. But I, I mean, Lincoln Riley making a splash in recruiting is—I mean, we all knew it was going to happen. Yeah, we we we're not too surprised, like you said. Moving on to our next comment. It is from see me on the big screen. Honestly, not very excited about our home games. I, I'm excited about the home games because I feel like all the good competitive you know, games that on paper at least looked more competitive were on the road, right? You look at that UCLA game being on the road this year, um, that Washington game being on the road as well. Uh, Stanford that, you know, usually figures to be a pretty competitive game between both uh, Oregon and, and Stanford. So I feel like this year I'm a little bit more excited about the schedule because some of those more competitive games are at home. You look at BYU, which is the next game that we were going to talk about that game's at home on September 17th. And then Stanford, like I mentioned, and to kick off October, UCLA comes to town and then you got the UW game uh, here in Eugene, which is great. And then uh, a chance for revenge at that Utah uh, against Utah on uh, November nineteenth. That's got to be probably the biggest conference game that uh, the Ducks have on you know circled on their schedule after the way that this uh, regular season shook out. Yep, I think I'm excited about the schedule just mostly because of the two opportunities for revenge games that we have with Stanford and Oregon. So revenge games are always more fun to watch in person. Crowd's going to be ruckus at Autzen as they always are. And so I'm excited about the schedule, to be honest with you. Um, Utah obviously is the, is the toughest test. I think just looking BYU though, is going to be tough out of conference, but that's going to be a tough game. I'm interested to see also Max, what your thoughts are with, there are two coaches coming into Autzen this year who were interviewed for the position of the vacant, vacant head coaching job. I'm wondering if that's going to 
play a factor at all in any of those games. UCLA probably less. Chip's clearly building something out there, and I think it was more of a leverage move on his part. Uh, maybe and from Oregon's standpoint, kind of just test the waters, see how the fans would be receptive to it. But uh, with Sataki over in BYU, everything I was reading is that he didn't interview that well. It didn't go great. And so I'm curious to see. In, in football, there's everybody looks for any additional motivation they can get, right? There's whatever uh, locker or whatever uh, bulletin know, board material. That, yeah, bulletin board material that they can get. And so I'm curious to see if that's going to be two things for those two games. Uh, they're both at home, so we're going to be able to see it right in front of us. I'm, uh, those are two, I think, interesting aspects of the schedule as well. Yeah, that, that's what I was also hearing about the Sataki interview. Um, you know, but he obviously signed. He ended up signing a. Uh, contract extension in Provo to stay with BYU. You know, that's his school. That's where he went. So it makes a lot of sense. And uh, if I'm looking at it from his perspective, you know, why not just keep a, keep a good thing going. Right. And then keep, uh, keep building off of what you had in, in 2021 uh, against the PAC 12. And if I'm him, I'm looking at this game as another opportunity to, uh, you know, extend the win streak against the PAC 12 after they went five and zero this year. Um, but I thought that they were going to fall off a little bit after they lost Zach Wilson, but that wasn't necessarily the case here in uh, 2021. Um, let's see what other big games that they had. Uh, they they lost to Boise State 26 to 17. Uh, also lost to Baylor 38 to 24. Baylor obviously was was kind of knocking on the door right there at the end of a potential playoff spot, but they had to have a lot of things fall their way. Um, a win over Washington State, who was really solid after uh, they transitioned over to the Jake Dickert. Um, as well as a really high-scoring game against Virginia. Wow, I, didn't, I wasn't even aware of that. 66-49 to 49 win. Um, and then they beat USC to end the year, and uh, they're actually playing in their bowl game tomorrow against UAB, UAB. In, the, in the Radiance Technologies Independence Bowl. Fire me up from Shreveport, Louisiana. <laughs> Who's tuning into that game? Honestly, I'm going to try to tune into as many bowl games as I can because I'm just a fiend and I want to watch all the football I can before it's over. I love bowl season. Bowl season's the best. Christmas season in sports is the best. You've got the NFL getting into the home stretch with playoffs. You've got bowl season. You've got transfers. You've got early signing. You've got the NBA. This is the best time of the year for sports. Yeah, I, I like it a lot. And then you also got you know the early signing period like we're in right now uh, with the Ducks. Um I definitely want to watch more basketball. I mean, obviously with the, the both the Oregon teams playing, I've just been so busy with football and recruiting. I haven't been able to do that much, but I'm going out to the Baylor game tomorrow. Yep, I'll uh, be there not, as well. not, uh, not incredibly confident about that one. Uh, Welcome in the top team in the country into Matthew Knight arena. Um, but the Warriors too, that's my pro team. You know, the Warriors are, are doing really well. I saw a tweet before we got on here, Steven saying that uh, Clay Thompson's going to try to come back in, in early January. January. That's, yeah. my favorite, that's my favorite player in the league. So I've been, I've been waiting for him to come back. Yeah, I'm so stoked. I mean, we, the Warriors, I think, are going to win it all this year. Uh, they've been doing it, it. It feels like that first year when they won it with Kerr in uh, 2015. That just magical kind of run. So, yeah, I'm looking. I cannot wait for uh, Clay to get back here in January. Definitely, man. Well, do we have anything else that we wanted to talk about with this BYU game? You know, I don't want to speed through everything, but we're we're trying to look for, at about an hour uh, for the pod today. So we got to kind of get ourselves moving here. Yeah. I mean, again, the, the, the biggest thing that I'm going to be watching for BYU is like you said, Sataki's building something there. So I don't think it's good. I think it's going to be a close game. It's going to be a tough game. BYU. If they end up ranked the rest of the year, 
that would be great for us, especially if we get a win out of it. It's one of those situations where I think you, it's a tough game and then you root for that team to beat everybody they play the rest of the year, right? I think it's going to be one of those situations, but I'm looking forward to it. BYU is a strong program. They, they're no scrubs. Yeah, they're going to give they're going to give Oregon a good shot, I think. And, and that's a, a really quality non-con game to uh, get you ready for, for conference play because the next week they hit the road to Pullman. Uh, on September 24th, and I think for this game, I'm going to be curious to see what time kickoff is announced for because I mean, you think about the whole trap game, uh, you know, ideology, and I feel yeah. like Washington State just uh, embodies that. You know, I talked with uh, Crimson Sports Director Brennan Green uh, before the Oregon Washington State game this past year, and she really, we kind of just agreed that uh, Washington State really embodies that Pac-12 after dark kind of mantra that that we always hear about. And uh, I, yeah, exactly. And then Oregon's going to be under uh, a new a first year starting quarterback, um, you know, at least for the Ducks, if they get a grad transfer or a transfer, whoever ends up being quarterback is going to be their first year as a starter for Oregon. Um, so that that'll be a, a big test as well. Um, you know, a lot of people talking about to go back to that Georgia game real quick. They want to see one of the younger guys play uh, in, in place of uh, Anthony Brown. Um, we talked to Brian McClendon on Thursday, yesterday, and he said there's no plan in place right now to make any kind of quarterback change. So that's a, 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 a certainly a storyline that we're going to have to monitor um, because this Washington State game is the, the first, you know, big road game in the conference next year. Yeah, I'd like to see some of the young guys get some play here in the bowl game for sure. I mean, especially since last season, uh, Shuck was the guy going into it and he ended up getting yanked and and Brown played a lot in that game. So I'd love to see at least sort of the same thing, get, get the game plan going. But, you know, it, it, it's it sucks. It's like you said, we're, we're already sort of looking forward to next year. And there's still another game on the schedule. And it's a big game. Oregon, Oklahoma, and the Alamo's, Alamo Bowl is a big game. So I'm trying to stay focused on that. But how do you not think about the future and what's the potential is here? Anthony Brown is, regardless of what happens, this is his last game in an Oregon uniform. And we know what he is. I'm not exactly confident that he's going to light it up. And so I want to see the young guys get some tread. Let's see what happens. And so I think it's going to be big for them to get that experience if they're given the opportunity. But based on how the entire season went I, and more head staying, I wouldn't be shocked if it's just Brown the whole game. Washington State coming off a 7-5 and five record in the 2021 season. Uh, Oregon really took care of business against them uh, in early to mid-November with a 38-24 win. Um, you know, Jake Dicker got uh, named as the uh, official, you know, officially named as the new head coach there after Rolovich got uh, fired. And um, I feel like I'm curious to see what this team looks like after a full offseason under Dicker, because, you know, he's clearly a guy that is really well liked by the players and uh, can get guys to buy in, you know, kind of similar along the lines of Lanny, you know, I'll run through a wall for that guy. Um, so I think just the way that they finished this year, I think it's just a tremendous testament to to Dicker as a coach, and uh, it's cool to see him do well in his in his first. Uh, I guess next year will be his first full year, but they had a really good you know end of the season and just absolutely embarrassed Washington to to end the regular season in the Apple Cup in Seattle. You had the flag plant, which was pretty savage. So I know a, a lot of Oregon fans like to to relish in um, Washington's downfall and and their struggles, but. Um, yeah, and they're, they're playing Miami, and they're playing Miami in their bowl game, which is which yeah. interesting. Tony the Tiger Sumble 
in um in El Paso on December 31st, New Year's Eve, 9 a.m. Pacific. Um, so who I don't even know that Miami must have an interim because Manny Diaz are already got named uh the the D quarter the new D coordinator, I think, right? At Penn State. At Penn State, and, yeah. And then Mario's obviously not gonna coach in that game. So it's gonna be weird in all these bowl games, you know, seeing so many interim head coaches. You got McClendon obviously for Oregon, Stoops for Oklahoma, and then Miami's gotta have an interim as well. I just don't know off the top of my head who their interim is. But um what else do you think about Wazoo? You know, Delora has been super solid and then Borgie's finally moving on. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, I mean, like just to, to parrot what you said earlier, like with everything that happened with Washington State and, you know, their whole coaching vaccination issue debacle like that team could have just laid down and and it just would have been a wash season and and yeah I think it speaks to their coach it also speaks to the guys in that locker room of how they finished that season being able to get you know past those distractions uh, a mid-season coaching change is never easy to deal with especially under the circumstances that they were dealt particularly so it, yeah the, the end of their season impressed me immensely Pullman is a it's, a it's a wacky place to play wacky things happen up in Pullman as we've seen over the years uh, it's a rowdy place. I agree. Pac-12 after dark. I wouldn't be shocked if this is a if this is a night game final slate of the Pac-12 schedule that weekend kind of thing. So uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be a good time. Pullman's always fun. I've heard great things about Pullman up there. Going to watch a game. Uh, hopefully, I'll be up there this year to watch that one. Um, but you know, Washington State they they they're building something there. Yeah, I uh, I went to I've actually only been to Pullman once, but that was for the Oregon Wazoo game in 2018. Uh, when they had game day there. So that that was an awesome atmosphere. I mean, Oregon got destroyed in that game. But yeah. Martin Stadium, I believe it's called Martin Stadium, uh, wherever the, the Kooks play, it gets rocking for sure. And, and I don't think it's uh, enough credit as, as a, you know, a fan base and uh, as, you know, a game day environment because it was awesome. Uh, a lot of really, really loyal fans out there. And I think that um, if, if they can, if they can, you know, get Delora off his game, um, you know, we, we saw a comment here from, from soccer, soccer gauze, G O Z. Hopefully I'm saying that right. It says, uh, Washington state should be an easy game. Delora is a dude, but if landing brings that Georgia defensive scheme, we should wipe the floor with WSU. If it's the patch after dark game, everything goes out the window. No, that's exactly right. That's exactly yeah. what we were saying. So I, and I also feel like they had some really good receivers this year. So depending on what their skill positions look like, uh, Borgie's gone. I don't know if McIntosh is going to be back. But um, 
all their skill positions were pretty solid also this year. So I think that that's a, a position group that you shouldn't take for granted. 100%. Yeah. And I mean, Mike Leach up there a couple of years ago, set up, you know, with the air raid kind of, uh, I feel like people still kind of associate Washington state and Pullman with that, with that system. And so that's going to, that's going to breed big offense and good receivers. All right. Moving along here after Washington state, we got Stanford to kick off the month of October on October 1st at home in Eugene. Um, I feel like I've been kicking off most of these. Why don't, how about you take uh, you know some early thoughts on Stanford and kind of uh, what they're looking like? First revenge game of the year in terms of going back to last year's schedule. So it's going to be, it's going to be a vibe at Autzen for sure uh, with that, with them coming in this year, instead of us going to the farm. Um, David Shaw's always got his team ready to go. They're always prepared. They've always got, you know, great offensive line, great defensive line, power team. So we know what we're going to get with Stanford. I'm, a, you know, it's weird things happen with Stanford too in the last, you know, decade or so when it comes to Stanford and Oregon games, uh, especially a couple of years ago with that whole end of the game debacle with the fumble uh, when uh, Oregon was clearly uh, in prime position to win that game and, uh, you know, set themselves up for, for, uh, you know, play, college football playoff uh, position but uh it's going to be fun and stanford's always a tough tough out uh again the revenge factor though i think is going to be the biggest thing because going into the stanford game this season it was right after ohio state things were moving oregon was ranked number three in the country it was our it was oregon's you know season to lose and stanford obliged and so although it was a close game definitely some questionable officiating on that last drive there um, it's, it's, it's always a tough test when you, when you play Stanford. And so I'm really excited to have him come over in Autzen and, uh, to get that first revenge game. I was at that game on the farm this year. Um, I don't know if I've told you this story before, but, uh, they, the away teams, at least this past year, they, they gave the media the opportunity to go down in the field for the last five minutes of the game. And, uh, it was a little bit, uh, of a mess. Uh, this past time we we played at us Oregon played at Stanford, but I'd never been able to go down on the field there, despite you know growing up going to those games with, with friends and family. Um, but I had to take the opportunity to go down there. I was like, you know, it's Stanford. I wouldn't be surprised if they caused a little chaos. And uh, lo and behold, they forced overtime, and everyone knows how that game ended. But um, yeah, they're, they're a team that I think they're they're typically known for recruiting. Um, they recruit at a decent level. I mean, their, their academics kind of uh, handcuff them a little bit with regards to what players they can go for. And, and the administration um, process uh, makes it a little bit hard to, to get more guys enrolled early, but they did sign a lot of their guys during the early signing period in the 2022 class. So that's always a, a plus, but then kind of like, like I just mentioned, we got to see what the early enrollee process actually looks like uh, for them and how many people they can ultimately get on the, um, on campus. But one guy that I, I really like there is uh, Austin Jones, the running back. He's a, another Bay Area guy from Bishop O'Dowd uh, that Oregon was actually looking at for, for a bit um, during the recruiting process. But they're a team that, I, I mean, even though it was a really ugly year for them, I feel like maybe there's still some some uh, some confidence for, for David Shaw because he, he's had them as one of the stronger teams in the Pac-12 um, most years. And uh, they, you know what you're getting with them. You're going to get a team that tries to pound the ball. And then when that doesn't work, um, they're going to try to throw the ball and play, play jump ball. So that's a, a revenge game, like you mentioned, Steven, and, and uh, one I'm sure the Ducks are going to have uh, uh, prioritized. Yeah. I mean, hopefully it, I, that's a game where I really hope it's a blowout 
uh, victory for Oregon and that there's nothing close about it because, again, there's just something about Stanford and something about that could be said about Pac-12 officiating in not just with Oregon, but just the Pac-12 conference in general. Uh, it gets weird when when games are tight. And so I think, you know, making sure that it's not in the officials' hands is going to be huge. Uh, this might sound superstitious, but, yeah, I, that's just how I feel about Stanford. It weirds me out every year. All right. Well, moving on to the, the next game. Hope we're not going too fast for folks, but Ducks have to hit the road to Tucson to face the Arizona Wildcats, who are very much still in rebuild mode under Jed Fish. Um, but I, you know they had they had signs of of some good games. It felt like it was so hard for them to find a lot of stability, um, at least on the field this year, because especially at the quarterback position, you know guys were getting hurt left and right. Um, you know, Stanley Berryhill was one of the, the, you know, premier playmakers, I feel like in the PAC 12 this year, and they gave Oregon a shot. I mean, they were, the, they're a good shot. They were pretty much in that game, uh, really, you know, until I want to say midway through the third quarter, definitely a lot later in that game than Oregon wanted to, to be comfortable with. And, and, uh, thanks to some interceptions from the, the DBs and, and Bennett Williams, crazy pick six. That was one of the craziest defensive plays of the year for Oregon. Um, they were able to put him away. So, you know, Typically, I don't feel like this is a game that Oregon should be too concerned about, but um, you know, we'll have to see what Arizona's looking like um, you know, this, this next year. Yeah, I'm not too worried about it. Arizona's, like you mentioned, in very much of a rebuilding stage right now. Their program is not in the hottest uh, you know, state that it's been. I mean, I was looking at their schedule and I remember I totally forgot this year that they lost to Northern Arizona. And they had, if I remember correctly, that had never happened before ever. And I'm pretty sure they've played them for like 60 years. So it's, it's an interstate rivalry out there in, in Arizona. So they, they're certainly trying to kind of, you know, figure out what their identity is out there in Tucson. Um, but I, I anticipate this one, I mean, Oregon played down to their competition in that game uh, this year. And so Oregon's going to have to avoid that every game next year. I think that was the biggest issue that the Ducks, the 2021 Ducks team had is playing down to competition. Uh, they were in too many close games that shouldn't have been close, Arizona included. Uh, but yeah, I mean, if we can nip that in the bud, I think this is a good, you know, get right game uh, going into the uh, going into the bye week. Yeah. And, and another thing that I think we'll, we'll have to keep an eye on this next year is, you know, what, what does this year's, what does next year's team look like on the road? Cause I feel like until this past year, Oregon wasn't very good on the road um, and they did win some pretty big games on the road this year, you know, Ohio state, UCLA. Um, let's see. I guess those are the only ones that I can really point to because the Utah games both went poorly and, and then, yeah. uh, and then uh, they lost to Stanford on the road. But I think, yeah, well, that, that's just, I think you want to have a team that is competitive no matter where they're playing. Right. And uh, you know, defense travels, effort travels, and I think that that's going to have to be something that uh, that landing prioritizes is making sure that the defense comes right. But moving on to UCLA, uh, Oregon got that close win in Pasadena at the Rose Bowl this last year. Um, and like we said at the top of the pod, uh, Dylan Gabriel uh, committed to uh, UCLA. So he's going to be transferring there from UCF, one of the, the better quarterbacks available on the transfer portal this cycle and I think that um, it's definitely going to be nice for Chip Kelly to kind of have that position figured out. I don't think DTR has officially declared for the draft yet, but I feel like with Gabriel coming in, that's that's probably what this is looking like. And then, um, you know, they were solid against Oregon. You know, great running backs, 
Kyle Phillips was a great receiver. Chase Cota did some damage as well. Uh, and then they uh, they had a really good Oregon made their defense look pretty mortal now that I now that I say it because they had I believe one of the top defenses in the Pac-12 going into that game and then Travis Dye had the four consecutive touchdown carries which was wild and uh, you know Oregon was able to take advantage. Yeah, UCLA is no joke. Chip's building something down there. Uh, I, I believe this was his fourth season down there, and it was the first time that they really showed some momentum. So they're they're definitely building something there that you should keep your eye on. Uh, the game, to be honest with you, I thought that Oregon should have lost that game. There were two interceptions that were taken off the board that were not, you know, it wasn't a pass interference penalty or anything like that. So it wasn't like, you know, they were just bad plays by Oregon, and it was a shift. So somebody lining up off sides on both of those where they got called back. So Oregon got lucky to win that game. Uh, again, Chip Kelly coming in, coming into Autzen. I wonder if there's going to be any extra motivation with him, you know, getting the call uh, to potentially come back and then them going a different direction. We'll see how that goes, both in terms of the players and the coaches. But uh, I'm excited. It's always uh, – it's the Pac-12 has been, for good reason, uh, you know, not as highly regarded as some of the other Power Five conferences uh, in the last two years. And I think that – these teams are really starting to build, uh, you know, build their programs back up. And I think next year is going to be, it's going to, there's going to be a lot of tougher games um, in terms of those teams that have been kind of irrelevant the past few years, like UCLA. One thing I forgot to mention, Stephen, was, uh, you know, after the Ducks play Arizona, before they play UCLA, uh, they have their bye week, um, you know, kind of uh, sandwiched in there. So, I think that's another thing to, to talk about for any schedule breakdown is just kind of when the, the bye week comes in the season. Cause I think that'll, you know, it can, it can either help you or hurt you depending on when it actually comes. So that'll be the weekend of uh, October 15th and 16th they'll have off. So if it feels like, you know, just looking at the schedule, it kind of is, is right in the middle of the year. And, um, you know, they could need it after playing, you know, Georgia, BYU and Stanford, which figured to be some pretty, uh, pretty physical games. Yeah, the bye lines up literally right in the middle of the season. There's six games before we have the bye and then there's six games after. So I like the bye being right there in the middle of the season. I don't I don't really I think it's I don't like a bye too early in the season. Right. Because then it makes the home stretch a lot more difficult. Uh, but too late in the season as well, you're, you're sort of burnt out by the time you get there. And it doesn't actually help you a lot of the time because you've already gotten to that burnt out level. And so having the buy right in the middle, I think, is going to be really, really advantageous. It's also going to give Lanning as a first year head coach, I think, an, an opportunity if he needs to. If we're 6-0 if we're by that point, you wanted to do that. But if there's some hiccups to start, I think it's going to be an, an awesome opportunity for him to be able to you know, look back and, and say, all right, half the seat, halfway done. This is where we can improve. This is, you know, potentially two different seasons here, first half and second half, and uh, it, it gives the team an opportunity to build. But again, if you've got the buy too early or too late, then you don't get that opportunity to get right if you need to. So I'm hoping we're 6-0 at the time of that buy, but if we do need to get to, to get right, it's a really good place to do it. And if, and if a buy is too late, you also run the risk of, of losing momentum, right? You know, you're at that point, in that situation, sometimes you're kind of just like, I don't want to stop playing. I just want to keep on this hot streak and kind of see how uh, things can carry over and, and hopefully stay hot and, and keep winning games. But um, the, yeah, the bye week is uh, an interesting concept and, and it looks like for Oregon, it's uh, they're getting a little bit of a favor here from the PAC 12, just as far as the timing goes. I think that's beneficial. Uh, Cal on the road 
in Berkeley. That's the next game we're going to talk about October 29th. Uh, Chase Garbers declared for the NFL draft, um, which is probably one of the, the biggest things um, to uh, think about here. And um, yeah, you also said uh, Justin Wilcox interviewing for the Oregon job. You wonder if, if that'll, you know, play a factor at all, but uh, yeah, Cal has just kind of been a, uh, you know, a bottom tier kind of bottom tier PAC 12 team for a while, but they took Oregon down to the wire um, this year, you know, came down to that, that goal line play where yep. uh on. And I, I think it was Verone where it was able to, were able to get pressure to end that game. That was the game when I was actually in Dallas uh, covering some high school football. Uh, so I wasn't at that game, but um, if uh, you know, kind of, again, I feel like road road game, depending on the, the timing um, th- it could potentially be a, a little tricky for, for Oregon who knows um, because Cal did beat the ducks last year um, in 2020. Yep. I, 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 you know, Wilcox, I gotta say, hasn't really impressed me to be honest with his time at Cal so far. Um, being from the Bay area, obviously we're familiar with, you know, Berkeley and that stadium, that area. Uh, when we were younger, Berkeley was popping. There was a time there when we were like, you know, Berkeley was, top five in the country one year with uh sean jackson on that team nate longshore and that kind of thing and, and berkeley was a hostile place to play believe it or not in that time times have changed it's certainly no austin stadium uh there i doubt that the building is going to be full so i think that's going to be you know coming coming out of the bye coming off of the ucla game uh cal and colorado i think are both pretty you know I'm happy with I'm happy with having those games on the road this year. It's not going to be the worst hostile environments, um, so I think those are going to be kind of easy victories for the Oregon Ducks. Yeah, and I mean you got to think about this year with, with Cal too. Uh, they just went off against Stanford in the game. Uh, they won forty-one to eleven, um, which was which is pretty surprising to see. Uh, but you know, kind of down years for for both of those programs in the in the Pac-12 North. Um, one of the questions that we're getting here, I've seen it mentioned a couple times. I just wanted to address it. TJ Norton is asking, when does TMAC commit? Um, you know, there were reports that he was supposed to make his decision ultimately between Oregon and Arizona um, at some point today. He, he's a guy who isn't big on social media and he, you know, plays everything pretty close to the vest. Um, so I would think that he would probably make his decision if, he, if he's who knows it's on him if he wants to make it public right you know that's up to him some guys want to announce the decision at the all-american bowl in january um but i believe this is the last day of the early signing period so i would think that it would come at some point today um but just you know arizona's picking up a lot of steam you look at uh guys like noah fafita his high school quarterback going there one of his best friends and keon burnett um keon burnett uh tight end also from Servite going there um even though that it's not the best team right now, at least on a you know optics level, I feel like they have one th- and I was and uh, I feel like they have one thing that Oregon doesn't really have right now, and that's stability. Even though they haven't uh, obviously played that well, but we don't know what's going on with Brian McClendon if, if he's going to be in Eugene next year or not. And uh, obviously, Cristobal leaving is is kind of a hit for any recruit. I feel like. Yep, I think you hit it on the head. Um, you know, it's it's interesting to see what what is the thing that sways these players to make their final decision? Right. And it's gonna, a lot of people are surprised by these final decisions. I would be surprised if he chose Arizona over Oregon, simply just because of the States of the program from the outside. Right. But at the same time, um, 
with his high school quarterback going there, that's huge. That's something that Oregon obviously can't replicate. And these relationships that these kids build on these football teams are, are really important. So I wouldn't, yeah, it would, it would shock me if he did choose Arizona, but you know, I'm, I'm still confident. I'm, I'm excited to hear about here though. And, you know, I've been, I've been, uh, I've been monitoring it closely and uh, hoping we, I was hoping we'd hear something by now, but obviously we're not going to. Yeah, so we'll we'll see if uh, if we hear anything on that front here. But um, I just want to make sure that I address that comment because I've been seeing it for a bit. Um, what do you say we move on to Colorado uh, and see uh, if we can pick up a little bit of steam here? Uh, Ducks took care of business against Colorado this year uh, pretty handedly, and um, but the big the big player out of Colorado I feel like was a uh, wide receiver Brendan Rice. He he was just kind of getting whatever he wanted almost uh, against the Ducks, but they're obviously still looking for some playmakers uh, at other positions. Jared Broussard was one of the you know is one of the other guys that uh, has made a name for himself in the Pac-12. And um, I'm trying to think of what their quarterback position is because I don't know what the uh, kind of what the latest is there as far as what that looks like for next year. Cause they had, I believe they were rolling with Brendan, Brendan Lewis, uh, the freshman this year. Yeah. I'm not sure who's going to be, who, who's uh, going to be leading them next year either. Um, you know, going back to this past season, it's an easy win for the ducks. It was at that game at Autzen. Uh Colorado is a program that has been down for a while. So this is when you're talking about those pac 12 uh, the Pac-12 kind of not getting too much respect the last few years. Uh, this is Colorado kind of falls into that category of teams that are in the bottom half of the conference. So, uh, but Boulder, you know, they Boulder gets crazy. It, and that's the thing about college football is that on any given day, any team can beat any other team. Uh, and the crowds have a lot to do with that. So who knows if Boulder's absolutely crazy that weekend, maybe they get some Buffalo magic. Who knows? Another thing that might be worth mentioning here is that Colorado signed their entire 2022 class as it stands uh, middle of the road, as far as Pac-12 rankings go, uh, according to the 247 sports composite um, 19 signed letters of intent. And they're a team that honestly recruits a little bit more nationally than you would expect. Um, But I think that it's tough to evaluate them because I think Carl, Carl, uh, Carl Durrell uh, you know, had them playing really well in the pandemic shortened year, but then this year it wasn't very good. So it kind of was just an example of, uh, you know, you could, you couldn't put too much stock into that COVID season, but at the same time, you know, clearly something was going right. And you would, you're thinking if you're Carl Durrell, you'd like to, uh, you know, capture that again. Yep. I mean, again, they, anything can happen on any given day with these teams. Boulder, Boulder's a weird place and uh, you know, we'll see what happens. That's a game I want to go to because I, I haven't been to Colorado in a long, long time. And um, even if they don't have, you know, the best program, I feel like that's one of the, that's a really cool atmosphere. I've heard a lot of good things about Boulder as a college town, uh, just being a cool environment, cool setting. So we'll see if I can, uh, if I can get out there uh, this next year. Moving right along, we got Washington returning to Autzen for, I believe the, Let's see. In in 2019, they played, yeah, they played uh, on the road in Seattle. So this is the first time they'll be there um, since uh, 2018, and that was the game that that was the year that they took the rivalry back, um, and were ultimately able to you know beat Washington. And it looks like we lost uh, Steven here, but we'll see if we can get back. There he is. Um, all right, we got you back. 
Sorry about that, Max. Not sure what happened there. No, you're good. You're good. Um, but we're just talking about how the last time that UW was uh, in Eugene was when uh, Oregon beat Washington to kind of re- retake control of that rivalry. CJ Verdell ran it in to win the game. I th- feel like that was a really pivotal game for Mario Cristobal and, and the Ducks to, to really establish themselves as uh, you know some of the best, one of the best teams in, in the Pac-12 and, and take control of the Pac-12 North. But Obviously, this game means a whole lot to uh, both teams and, and both fan bases because they are, are not well-liked by each other. I, I love Washington Hate Week. It is one of my favorite times of the year. So uh, I'm very excited to have Washington come into Autzen this year. Um, yeah, some really great games you know, over the series, obviously. Uh, 2019, like you mentioned, with that epic drive. I think that was one of the one of the uh, bigger first moments for Cristobal when he was on this staff in terms of huge wins and kind of memorable, memorable moments for that team. Um, let's see. I know it's been crazy going back to just 2016, 70, 21, uh, Washington, 38, three Washington. And then you've got two straight games, Oregon wins by a field goal and by four points. And then Oregon squeaking by, by 10 uh, last year. And so, it's, it's a weird up and down series. Washington, obviously not a great year uh, losing to Montana. I, you know, that, that was horrible for them. Uh, they didn't look great in Michigan when they had a showcase game uh, opportunity out there. Um, they got they're get They have a new coach, obviously. I don't think, I think that's going to be really good for them. I don't think that was working out in terms of their staff up there uh, this past season, uh, but nothing's better than, than uh, Husky hate week. Yeah, and then, um, yeah, you're talking about Kalen DeBoer taking over that program in Seattle. Um, Got a question from Soccer Gauze. Who's the dog's QB going to be? Or Doge, I don't know how you're trying to spell that there. D-O-O-G. But I would would think it's probably going to be Penix, just because he's the most proven quarterback on the roster. You know, for people who might have missed that news, uh, Indiana quarterback Michael Penix transferred to Washington or elected to transfer to Washington. Uh, And then the other quarterbacks you got are – Dylan Morris, who I feel like is, uh, you know, you kind of know what you have in him. I don't know if he he's kind of already peaked, um, you know, as a college quarterback. And you got Sam Heward, who was kind of thrown into the fire in the Apple Cup. And I think he threw a pair of interceptions, and it was just a really ugly game overall for them. So I think Penix is probably going to be the guy for the Huskies, um, and, and they're looking to kind of get back on track. I feel like they'll probably have a, a pretty solid defense just by, by way of roster construction, even though Kellen DeBoer is, is an offensive mind. So maybe we see them, you know, undergo a little bit of an identity change there, but but they've always been known, I feel like, for for having strong offenses and or sorry, strong defenses rather, and uh, a good a good uh, ground game as well. So that's kind of what we have on uh, the uh, Huskies. You know, not not playing in a bowl game, so all the time in the world, I've been seeing on Twitter that they're kind of getting their staff figured out. Uh, a lot of guys coming over from Fresno State to help DeBoer kind of build that program back. And then yep. I think one of the biggest things for them was that Jake Hayner entered the transfer portal and everyone thought he was going to go to Washington. And then he withdrew his name from the transfer portal and he's going to stay at Fresno State with uh, Jeff Tedford, the the new head coach uh, down there in California. Yeah, it's a it's an interesting situation. I think Penix is for sure going to get the get the nod, especially with all the experience he got up in Indiana, uh, with the with the being in the Big Ten conference. He he played in a lot of big games, so uh, I definitely think that he's going to be getting the nod for next season, and uh, we'll see how it goes. But I mean, Fresno State 
was a great, was a really, not a great, but they started off great this year. Uh, they almost beat Oregon in Autzen. They were ranked, I think, two or three different times in the top 25 this year. So um, they, Washington is bringing in, you know, a guy who knows what he's doing in terms of, in terms of a, fo- a football program. So um, it, it's, it's going to be a fun game. All right. And then we had a question from Chris. Is that Brock's son? Um, it actually looks like it's Brock's nephew. Um, according to the uh, Washington official site, it says that uh, Sam Heward is, uh, or sorry, Brock is Sam's uncle, who uh, was a Washington legacy, played at UW from 1996 to 1998, um, and broke his older brother's UW passing yards record before playing for the Colts and the Seahawks. So uh, yeah, they've got that. They got that legacy going in, in Seattle and. Well, I feel like it's got to be a wide open quarterback competition. You know, we're saying that we think Penix is going to be the guy, but uh, I don't see why you wouldn't just have an open competition. And then the rematch, we're winding down here. Two more games um, with November 19th. Ducks welcome the Utes to Utah. Or sorry, welcome the Utes to Eugene. What do we think about this one, Steven? It all comes down to that game. I mean, that's that's how I look at it. I think that this is going to be circled. It already is circled on the calendar for for all Oregon fans and all Oregon players. Uh, it was it was ugly those two games against Utah this year. That's putting it mildly. Uh, we got boat raced both times. No, just every facet of the game: offense, defense, special teams. So it's. I think that it's going to be a culmination of. I mean, it's really. A, a culmination of an entire year of, of, you know, Oregon fans being in or, and the players being, uh, you know, upset about how those, how those games went. And uh, it's a real, it's a, it's a great opportunity to get revenge. These are the most fun games is to be able to get revenge on, on for a tough loss that you had the last year. There were such big implications with the loss this year too, uh, when it comes to the first one and the second one, first one, we were in playoff position. Uh, the second one was to get into position to go to the Rose bowl. So, you know, Utah, but Utah's they're they're not going to take a step back either. So I think that's going to be probably the toughest home game that that Oregon's playing this season. Uh, BYU again is going to be tough, but I think Utah's going to be a lot tougher, and uh, it all comes down to that, right? Uh, I don't. Th- I think that uh, going into the Oregon State game as well, uh, it, it's a really it's because that's obviously a really fun game. Uh, with the rivalry and so having an opportunity to get that revenge factor and then go over to Reeser and uh, beat the Beavs is going to be a really fun end of the season. Question here from Tony, Utah should be interesting again. Wonder if Woodingham will retire. I think that's a very notable question. Um, just because I heard that there were some, some rumors about him maybe calling it after, uh, after the Rose bowl, when they'll play Ohio state, talk about a great bowl matchup. I feel like that's what I'm really excited to watch. Yeah. Uh, you know, a lot of Duck fans were hoping that, that Oregon would be in that one. But, you know, the things uh, things happened the way that they did. And uh, now we're going to see Utah in their, their first uh, ever Rose Bowl game and see how they can do against Ohio State, which uh, for them it kind of feels like it's a bit of a, a letdown game because they were looking like they were poised to go to the playoffs again until they, until they lost to Michigan, which was a, a huge game. Uh, and the people are asking in the comments here, will uh, Ludwig take over if Woody Hem retires? I think another guy that you should keep an eye on is uh, Morgan Scaley, who's been uh, he's been in Salt Lake for a long, long time. This year's his 14th overall year uh, as an assistant or a coach on the uh, the Utah team. So Cam Rising is supposed to be back. I'm pretty sure 
Um, and then we got to see what happens with Tavion Thomas. The only big names that I know right now that I'm pretty sure aren't going to be there are Brayton Covey, uh, the wide receiver who's been there for 15 years. Um, and then you also have um, Devin Lloyd, uh, who's one of the top linebackers uh, in this upcoming draft class. So regardless of who's there, I mean, obviously it's, it's big that Rising's back for them. Um, and I think Clark Phillips will be back. He's a, a pretty solid DB that I know about over there. Um, Utah is always really well coached, and I think that they'll give Oregon a good shot, just like they uh, kind of always have. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what uh, what Whittingham does. Um, Urban Meyer's out of a job. We'll see uh, if, and he used to coach at Utah, so that would be interesting, uh, an interesting potential reunion. But uh, yeah, Utah's excellently coached. They are every year. They've got great players as well. It's not like this. This wasn't a fluke. Uh, it's not a fluke if it happens twice like that. Utah's they've been building for for a little while now, and uh, you know it's they're going to be the 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 uh, Pac-12 champs for the rest of the year until next year. They are the reigning champs. We have to refer to them as that. So that's what they're going to be. We're going to be taking on the Pac-12 champs, and uh, it, it it's a great opportunity. Should be a, another good one uh, in Eugene for the Ducks. Last game that we're going to talk about uh, here on the pod, on the Ducks Dish podcast, is the uh, Oregon State game. Uh, Ducks going against the Beavs to uh, round out the regular season. Um, as, you know, has become, you know, the norm now. That game is in Eugene on November 25th. Um, one of the questions we had here um, was, are the Beavs going to be the toughest Pac-12 North game? Uh, I, I'd probably say that. I mean, I'm, I'm confident about that being the the toughest North game just because Jonathan Smith has, has done a tremendous job coaching that team up. Um, you know, Washington state, I think is probably going to be right there battling them for the, you know, next best team there. Um, we'll see if Stanford can turn things around, not too concerned about Cal. Um, but yeah, I think, I think that they probably would be. And, um, Let's see. I think we're still waiting for draft decisions from, from BJ Baylor. I don't know. I don't even know what year he is actually, but um, I know that he is obviously one of the big playmakers for, for the Beavs. Um, and uh, Chance Nolan, I believe will also be back um, leading the show there. So, you know, you're trying to get an idea of what weapons might be back for, for them on, uh, on offense. Um, let's see here. I'm looking on their website. So it says BJ Baylor is a red shirt junior. And I mean, he, he absolutely killed it this year. So I wouldn't be surprised if, if he tried to take that jump uh, to the next level. But um, those are kind of the guys that I think about. And, you know, I think with the way that Jonathan Smith is, is turning that program around in Corvallis, I feel like I'm not saying he's on the same level as a Kyle Whittingham, but he's one of those guys that I feel like you're going to have confidence from, you know, about what the product, the product you're uh, putting out on the field and, you know, they're going to be a, a well-coached team. Yeah. I agree. He's, he's, he's a really good coach. Uh, he really is. Uh, he, he played the ducks tough this past, this past year up in Eugene, the rivalry factor always plays into it. There's always going to be an extra something for both of these teams every single year when they play. So that's definitely something to think about. Uh, but Oregon's it's always, a, it's always a fun game. Research. I don't know if research is going to have their remodel done by then. I know they've got like a, they got like a 50 million, dollar endowment or grant or something to to build out the uh west side of the stadium i believe and uh so i wonder if that'll be done by the time the ducks get out there uh either way though um it's it's always an interesting game with just with the rivalry factor it's kids who grew up playing against each other playing with each other so it always adds an extra element uh during the end of the season 
Right on. And then uh, one of the one of the comments here is OSU is Portal U. I mean, they they have done a really good job building the team um, through the through the portal, um, just because they they're not really a recruiting power in the Pac-12. So um, you know, if that's your other option, then I think that's a great idea. Um, I think one more piece of news that I, I forgot to touch on off the top um, of the show is that we could just wrap this up. Uh, Steven is um, there was a report from or yeah, a report from uh, Yahoo Sports Pete Thamel about another uh, hire potentially being made for Oregon under Dan Lanning. Um, Texas A&M Associate Athletic Director Marshall Mal- Malchow. I got to learn how to pronounce that because I don't know if I'm saying it right, but um, he he's been on the staff at uh, A&M for a couple of years. And then he was also in the uh, personnel department at, at Georgia and Washington. And he's highly regarded as one of the best in the business in, in that regard. And, and this is potentially one of the biggest hires. Obviously, you look at the OC hire with, with Dillingham. That's what a lot of people want to focus on because he's a defensive-minded head coach, right? But I think that if bringing this guy in, I mean, all he's done at Georgia. If, did you see how Texas A&M finished out the early signing period? They're a top three class, I believe. And then each year he was at Georgia they had a top five recruiting class. So this could potentially be one of the biggest hires that, that landing makes once it uh, becomes official. I think this is on its face, the biggest hire that he makes. It's like you said, if recruiting is the lifeblood of college football, everybody knows that. And this guy is arguably the best in the business in terms of the back end recruiting stuff. Uh, The classes that he's helped bring in, tell the story, like you just mentioned, Uh, A&M this year, like, where did they even come from with that? Like, they've always got a strong class, right? That's an SEC school. It's a powerhouse name. But I don't think anybody expected them to be landing as many guys as they did uh, that were so highly regarded. So I think this is absolutely huge for the Ducks. It's a great hire for landing. It's a great hire for Rob Mullins. And it's a real, I think, commitment showing, you know, the, or- the both the Oregon fan base, boosters, players, uh, just everybody that Oregon's going all in. They're, they are bringing in this guy and they're giving him all of the tools that he can have to be successful. They're throwing every resource at him and they're taking it seriously. They're not just, they're, they're not just going to let, uh, you know, sit by and have a rebuild happen uh, after crystal ball walked out. I think that's, I love all the power moves they're making. It's, it's awesome. I love it. Yeah. We're going to, we're going to see how, uh, the, you know, these other guys can, can get the team together. Um, you know, players were saying that uh Polage was, uh, in, in uh, town at practice. So that was another hire that got uh, announced and confirmed today as the uh, co-defensive coordinator for, for Lanning. Uh, another guy to watch is Tosh Lapoy. Uh, I feel like his name gets thrown around every time uh, Oregon is, is in search for some coaches, but with uh, things kind of unraveling in Jacksonville with Urban Meyer getting the boot, um, he's looking like a guy that could be a little bit more realistic. Um, and we got to see what uh, things look like uh, on that front. But we're uh, we're gonna wind down and get out of here on the Ducks Dish podcast. Uh, Steve, where people where can people find more of you? Yeah, so I'm still working on getting the YouTube channel set up, so I will keep you guys all posted on when that is officially done. For right now, you can go follow me on SB Sports Five Four One on Twitter. Uh, give me a follow, and then uh, be sure to subscribe to uh, Max's channels as well over on YouTube on his Twitter account. Uh, he's k- pumping out great content every day i'm happy to be a part of it so everybody go give him a subscribe as well Uh, but like i said i'll keep you guys posted on when the channel for me is posted and right now just hit me on twitter all right appreciate that steven if you guys want to find more of me you can follow me on twitter at mtaurus sports and like steven said you can subscribe to my youtube channel at oregon football max taurus that little 
red box down there on the screen. Really helps me out, and it only takes a second out of your day. And then go on over to DucksDigest.com to find all the latest Oregon Duck football news. Or We're also doing some basketball every now and then, but obviously things have been crazy with football and recruiting. And then you can also go to my Twitter profile and subscribe to the free Ducks Digest newsletter. Uh, That's a really cool new feature to make sure you stay in the loop with everything. But that's all we got for this one, guys. Should be a promising 2022 football season for the Ducks. Full schedule rundown, and you know that we're only going to ramp it up again as we get into spring football and then also with uh, the upcoming Alamo Bowl. So that'll do it for us. Thanks for tuning in, guys, and we'll see you in the next one.